And so, in the year 1885, a 16-year-old German boy left in the middle of the night his home in Bavaria. He had very little money, he didn't speak English, and he had no skills, but he boarded a ship and he sailed to the New World, to the United States of America. When he got here, he first made money just by cutting hair. He was a barber. Eventually, he managed to lease a spot, and he would rent out some rooms, and he called it a hotel, and began to prepare food, and called it actually a restaurant and a hotel. Well, he got into the hotel business, never got really big at it, but he managed to make a living. He moved around the country, and he ended up in the Bronx in New York. In the year 1918, he had three uh, children, a daughter and two sons, and his wife had come over from Germany. Now, she still spoke very little English. He was walking down the street on May 29th, 1918, with one of his sons. He looked over at his son, and he said to his son, I'm not feeling well. The son took him home, he went to bed, and the next morning, he was dead. He died of the Spanish flu, which was this probably the world's biggest pandemic ever, which swept the world in 1918 and killed uh, as many as 50 million, maybe more people than that. But something curious had happened. Just a few months before he died, he was persuaded by someone to buy a life insurance policy. Now we take life insurance for granted, and though it had been around already for decades, not many middle-class people were buying life insurance policies. But this man did, he bought a life insurance policy, and it turned out to pay quite a sum of money upon his death. One of his sons took his share of the money and began to develop property all over New York. Eventually, that son would become a multimillionaire using the life insurance money. And the man's grandson in the year 2016 would be elected president of the United States of America. It was Donald Trump's grandfather who died suddenly of the Spanish flu. And with this pot of money, the family eventually developed into multimillionaires. Now, I'll tell you the story because you would have never guessed that from the pandemic, a president would come. And that's because you can never really look at a hardship and predict what might come out of it. And as Christians, what we know is that you can never actually look at a hardship in our lives or in the world and predict what God might do with it. God does awesome things, even in our tragedies and our hardships, our failures, even in our temptations and our sins. God does awesome things. Okay, so it's week number three at North Boulevard of our congregational exile. The pandemic's been here, I guess, for almost three months, but it really hasn't affected a lot of us until the last few weeks. Many of you have been at home. I, I know for a lot of us, we're uh, concerned about our jobs. We're concerned about whether we'll have jobs next week, whether our, if it's a small business, whether your small business will stay open. I know that for some of you, you're, it's really testy to be locked into the house for um, three weeks, especially uh, for those of you who have little children, it might be quite a, a bit of a challenge. And, uh, you know, there's, there's reason for us to be concerned at this point. But what I want you to know going into the text today is that God can take this pandemic, as he has done with every human tragedy, and snatch a blessing out of it. So I was thinking this week, I wonder what you're feeling. So I think some of us are probably feeling some anxiety. You know, the newness of it has worn off and we're home and we're locked in. I was asking Julie the other day, I said, now remind me, so I know as a man, uh, the feeling I have right now is, I hope we all keep our job. I, may, I feel some sadness that some people might lose their job. I said to Julie, remind me, what is a young mother 
feeling right now? And Julie's response, she, she didn't even think about it. She responded so fast that she made me jump. It literally made me jump. She started by clawing me. My wife started clawing me when I asked the question, what's a young mother feeling right now? She starts clawing me. She says, I'll tell you what they're feeling. Mom, 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 he's touching me. Mom, 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 can I have this? Mom, mom, mom. She said, if you can imagine three weeks of that nonstop, that's what the young mother is feeling right now. My heart goes out to you. I know that if you're older, you're probably worried a little bit about your retirement, or maybe every time you cough or you have some kind of body ache, you think to yourself, oh my goodness, is this the uh, pandemic? Do I have the virus and so forth? And, and who could have even foreseen the shortages? Toilet paper. I don't want to make too much out of this, but I just didn't see that one coming. You know, at a, I'm not making this up. At a staff Christmas party a couple of years ago, my gag gift was a roll of toilet paper. I'm not making this up. I got home and turns out the toilet paper was made out of some kind of indestructible fabric. You, you literally couldn't tear it, so it was a joke. You know, you're supposed to hang it and realize you can't tear it. So indestructible toilet paper was my gift. And I've just been thinking, you know, who's laughing now, now that I have indestructible toilet paper? Um, okay, maybe it's not that funny. But I will say this. So I read this somewhere this week. If you need 144 rolls of toilet paper to get through this pandemic, odds are you've got bigger problems than the virus head your way. Just... I just thought I'd share that with you. Okay, here's the deal. What do we do in the middle of a crisis? What do we do when we're in the middle of this, what appears to be a long period where we're gonna have to wait and see what God does? Now, everybody has to wait. I mean, this is just life. We learn to wait on all sorts of things. You wait on schedules, you wait on other people, you wait on your own body, you wait on all sorts of things. But Christians wait differently than non-Christians. Non-Christians wait, not sure what's gonna happen. Christians wait, unsure of the future, but sure of who holds the future. So Christians can wait with confidence, with hope. Christians can wait fully aware that God will take a blessing that we could not have gotten any other way. And that's what he has in store. In this pandemic, God has a blessing for this country, a blessing for this world, and a blessing for you and your family that you could not have gotten any other way. And that's what I want to tell you today. I'm going to use this text, Isaiah chapter 40. We're not going to take much time. Let me just read a few verses to you, remind you of some biblical truths that will help you now as the days start to grind on. I'm in verse 26, Isaiah 40. You want to remember this text, Isaiah 40 and verse 26. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each one of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. So what Isaiah is doing in chapter 40, he turns the page. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah, I have more to do with what was happening in Isaiah's lifetime. So Isaiah lives towards the end of the 8th century, end of the 7th century. But at chapter 40, Isaiah looks down the road and he sees what the future is going to be. In a lot of ways, Isaiah is really divided into two sections, and chapter 40 begins that second section. And in this text, Isaiah wants us to know that regardless of what you're experiencing right now, God is still God. He's still in charge. Isaiah's way of doing that is to say, look up at the sky. Look at all the stars. Who do you think put those stars in place? And not one single star is missing. God names the stars. He calls them forth at their time. Isaiah just wants us to know, step back when you're middle of the battle. Step back and just remind yourself who's going to win the war. Step back in the middle of the boredom. Step back in the middle of the arguing. Step back in the middle of the fatigue. Step back in the middle of the anxiety and remind yourself, God is going to win this war. That's just who he is. In fact, 
Isaiah takes it one step further. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. This is what God does. God snatches victories from every apparent defeat. God has a blessing for you that you couldn't get any other way. And you need to start looking for that. I'll point it out in just a minute. But let's remind ourselves, first of all, that God is in charge. One of the things I have been really proud of you guys is you've been sending me the photographs, chalk art and uh, uh, portraits that you've done with the scripture written across it, um, various um, quilting and knitting and all this sort of stuff. I'm so proud of you for taking Exodus 15 and verse 2 and making it a theme text. I really think we ought to make it a theme text during this pandemic. Wouldn't it be cool if two or three years down the road or 10 years down the road, you hear Exodus 15 and verse 2, and it just reminds you, God took care of us all as well. God took care of us. You remember Exodus 15 too? It's my challenge to you. Memorize that verse. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. We need to hold on to that truth. That God is in charge. God knows what he's doing. God is still king. He's still full of mercy. He's still full of grace. And he has enormous power. You know, at some point you are going to look back on this and you're going to say, wow, I had no idea God would use that pandemic to accomplish whatever it is he's going to accomplish. I was trying to think this week of all the small things in life that God has added up to make a wonderful life for me and for you as well. So you think about it, so many of the important things that have happened in your life, at the moment before they happened, you just probably didn't guess it was gonna happen. Maybe God snatched something out of a very small incident. I'll tell you this story, this is out of my life. So uh, we grew up lower middle class, probably poor, I, I would say we were, I, I, don't, I don't know what standard you wanna use. Uh, nobody in my family had uh, college education. I wanted to preach, but it was obvious to me that I wasn't going to be able to afford school. My dad set me down and said, I hope you can go to college, but I can't pay for it. If you go, you'll have to find your own way. And I was working at Gill's IGA in Smyrna at the time. There was a grocery store there. Uh, now Gill still has a hardware store, but at that point they had a grocery store. Our minister was a guy named Marlon Simpson, and he had resigned his ministry, and he was moving away from Smyrna. The last time I ever saw Marlon Simpson, the last time in my life, I was a bag boy at Gill's IGA. Marlon had bought his groceries and it just so happened by sheer coincidence I was standing on the the highway where he was buying his groceries so I took his groceries out to his car. Now I'm not kidding this is the last time I ever saw last time I ever heard from him the last time I ever saw him. As we're walking out there he said to me I was 17 so I was a junior in high school he said to me are you going to preach and I said I would like to but I don't think I can go to school so I've about decided I'm not gonna be able to preach. He looked at me and gave me two of the most blessed two moments of my whole life. He put his finger in my face, he said, David Young, you will preach and you will go to school. I want you to send a letter to every Church of Christ in Rutherford County and ask them to send you $10 a month so you can go to school. I went home and I thought, there's no way I can do it. Nobody's gonna give me money. You know what happened? I sent out a letter to every Church of Christ I knew of in Rutherford County. I went four years of undergraduate school and never once took out a loan. 
seven churches rose up and paid my way through. And I've often thought, if I had not been standing in that aisleway when Marlon Simpson came out, if he hadn't asked me that question when we went out, if I had just said to him, can you take your own groceries? And he had said, yes, I have no idea where I'd be today. From one small thing, God can turn the whole course of human events and he can do it for you as well. We just don't know what God's up to, but we know he's going to craft a blessing for us that we could not get any other way. So what do we do while God's crafting the blessing? And the answer is also in our text, we learn to wait like Christians. In fact, think of this sermon as an opportunity for you to gain weight. Verse 29, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. The promise of this is that God wants us to wait while He prepares that which is good for us. You know, James uses the analogy of a farmer. A farmer plants the seed puts out the fertilizer, does whatever the farmer has to do. But then James says in chapter 5 of his book, the farmer has to learn to wait patiently while God does God's part of it. So we want to do the right things while we wait, but we need to recognize waiting on God, it's not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. God is the farmer and God is working with us to produce something awesome. What he wants us to do is to have patience while we wait for God to do the amazing thing he's going to do. And I just want to say Christians wait actively. The world might wait passively. We wait actively. We wait on God by taking action. We do something while we wait. Now, I want to give you four just really quick pieces of advice. This is what I'm kind of uh, sensing might be helpful to you this week. While we wait, there are four things we want to do. First, practice extraordinary grace. So I was talking to a counselor, I think I mentioned this last week, who said they expect a lot of marriage problems to come out of this pandemic because suddenly we're forced to be with each other in some cases 24-7. And even if you love your spouse, it could be a real change suddenly to find yourself with him or her every hour of every day. Now, if you're not married or uh, if you're widowed or single or whatever, you get the principle. The principle applies to all of us. One thing that you want to do right now is decide we're not going to solve any major problems during this pandemic. Like our personalities are different or we're having financial issues. This is not a good time to try to deal with all the crisis in your life. This is the time just to show grace to one another. I'm really challenging you to do this. I'm challenging you to do this. Show some mercy and grace to one another while you wait on what God's going to do. Don't make your problems worse right now. If it's with your children, if it's with someone who's a friend, just make an agreement. We're going to have a treaty. We're going to put our worries on hold for a little while. We're just going to practice grace with each other. The second thing I want to do, I want to encourage you to learn to listen to what other people are feeling. This is my second advice to you. Now, if you're an introvert, you're already mortified of where I'm going with this. But I just want you to know right now, there are so many people who need you to listen not just to what they say, but to how they feel. So I have a little exercise for you. I want you to learn to ask someone. If, you're, if you live alone, ask someone in your small group. If you live alone, ask somebody who's a family member. You, you can do it on the phone. You can text them, whatever. 
if you live with family, this is true for your children, it's true for your spouse, be true for your parents, ask them how, not how are you doing, ask them how are you feeling? Because when many of us are anxious, what we need is for someone who understands how we feel. Like you can't fix every problem right now, but you can love someone who's feeling anxious. So here's how you do it. In fact, I almost want you to practice it, but I can't really see what you're doing there, so I'm not going to put you up to it. But I'll say this. You ought to practice this as soon as this service is over with. Ask the question, honey, how are you feeling? And when she says, oh, I think I'm feeling okay, say, are you sure? Are there any feelings you want to talk about? And when she says, well, yeah, I'm feeling a little anxious about this or that, don't try to fix it. You probably can't fix it. You don't tell her, well, you don't have any reason to feel that way. Or, you know, why would you feel that way? Don't you trust me? Or don't do all that. You don't need to do any lecture. Instead, when they tell you how you feel, how they feel, just say it back to them. So you're feeling anxious. And you're feeling anxious because um, you're not real sure if we're going to be able to pay the mortgage. Is that right? And all of a sudden, someone feels like you love them. It's a great way to say I love you to someone. And when they say, yes, that's what it is, then here's what you say to them. I may not be able to fix it, but I'm always going to love you through it. I'm just telling you, it'll help our relationship so much now if we practice listening to how people feel. Listen to their feelings right now. Do it with your children. Your children probably can't even articulate what they're feeling. They may be acting out. Uh, they may be restless. They may have even resorted back to old habits, bedwetting, or who knows what. Seriously, this stuff may be happening. Some of it is because they just need to know everything's going to be okay. Listen to how they feel. Ask them how they feel, and then listen. Okay, my third thing. Ask God repeatedly, God, what are you asking me to do in the middle of this pandemic? God really, He's asking us to do something. In fact, one of the cool things that I think might come out of this pandemic North Americans generally don't like house churches. They're not very effective in North America. We may actually learn how to do house churches so effectively that millions of people come to Jesus through house churches. But we need to ask God, what are you trying to teach me? Now, again, I'm not saying that God has sent this plague to you, but I am saying God can use this plague to do something awesome in your life. Ask him, Lord, what do you want me to learn through this? I already know some things that God wants me to learn. First of all, he wants me to slow down and love better. I know that about myself. God wants me to trust him more. And, and honestly, he's really given me a great blessing of trust now. It's just, there's not much I can do. I'm just going to have to trust God. And there's a, a sense of peace that comes over you when you learn the lesson God's teaching. He's teaching me, just trust me, David. I haven't been able to read much. We've been, you know, we went through the fundraiser. By the way, we got eight days from fundraising Sunday and had to close the whole thing down, which is kind of painful to me, I'll just be honest with you. But I was ramping up for that. I wasn't reading a whole lot. I was pretty anxious for several months leading up to that. And all of a sudden, you know, we're not doing many meetings. I, I'm not, the hospital won't even let me in. I can't go to nursing homes. And I've discovered, you know, I kind of like reading again. I've gotten to read some books that have been sitting on my shelf and so forth. Ask God, God, what are you asking me to do during this time? And here's my last thing. Start planning your victory now. Start planning your victory now. The amazing thing about Isaiah 40 is it was written not while the children of Israel were in exile, about after their exile, it was written before they even went into exile about what they would do after their exile. I mean, Isaiah wrote this 200 years before it happened. 
He can see that hard times are coming, and then he can see that God's going to bring a victory out of the hard times. He writes about the victory that's going to come after the hard times that haven't even come yet. Isaiah's teaching us a great principle. God's going to bring a victory out of this pandemic. He's going to give you a victory. He has a blessing in this you cannot get any other way. He's going to snatch a victory out of it. I don't know what it's going to be. Maybe God's going to teach me not to depend on my things. Maybe God's going to teach us what, you know, how to love better. Maybe God's going to teach us you know, that I shouldn't have been in that career anyway. I don't know what God's going to do with this. But we can start now planning our victory celebration because we know God's going to snatch a victory. I just want to tell you just um, one, one, one victory that I'm looking forward to. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when North Boulevard gets back together again? You know, we called off uh, the uh, campuses three Sundays back and went into this online service, which is working great, by the way, and I really appreciate we have a, a staff that's really dedicated to making this awesome, making it excellence, uh, making it excellent. But we started doing this, and I, I thought maybe it was a week or two. I mean, I don't know how long it lasts. It could last a couple of months. But I'm telling you, I'm already planning the awesome Sunday when we get back together again. And as soon as the mayor and the governor and the president tell me, I'm not just going to hug you. I'm going to slobber all over you. I'm going to give you big, wet butterfly kisses. When we, the next time we get back together, if you don't want a wet, slobbery kiss, you better not come up to me because I can't wait to get us all back together. And I can start right now celebrating the reunion we're going to get. We're going to knock the roof off every single campus when we sing that song. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when we get back together? So God gave me a hymn this week that's been kind of guiding me this week. This hymn is like almost 200 years old. It was originally written by Mormons and then uh, sort of general Christians took it and kind of rewrote it and recast it as a, just a more generic Christian hymn. You've heard the hymn before, those of you who are older. If you're younger, it's just the sweetest little hymn. But if you're younger, you probably don't know the words of it. Come, come ye saints, no toil or labor fear, but with joy wend your way. Though hard to you this journey may appear, grace shall be as your day. We have a living Lord to guide and we can trust him to provide. Do this and joy, your hearts will swell. My favorite line. All is well, all is well. You know I'm going to sing a part of this to you, don't you? After I sang last week, I just thought to myself, I love you guys so much. I want to give you something, some comfort, some peace. And I don't, I'm not a good singer, but... Uh, for some of you, I'm old enough to be your father. Maybe for a few of you, I'm old enough to be your grandfather. I just want to give you a little gift. The last sentence, the last uh, verse, I mean, of this song, I want you to listen to how it ends. We'll make the air with music ring, shout praises to our God. This is what we're going to do when we get together after those wet, slobbery kisses. Oh, how we'll make the chorus swell. All is well, all is well. That's the promise of this text. Let me try to sing it to you. Just, just one verse. We'll find the rest which God for us prepared when at last he will call where none shall come to hurt or make afraid he will reign over all. 
We'll make the air with music ring, shout praises to our God and King. Oh, how we'll make the chorus swell. All is well, all is well. Those who wait on the Lord shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. God's gonna snatch a victory from this pandemic. We could not have gotten any other way. So wait on the Lord. And while you wait, you can sing, all is well, all is well. Let's sing out of uh, Isaiah 40 before we do our communion.